Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning, friends. Um, Cody, I appreciate that introduction. You always oversell me in one sense. It is truly a delight uh, to be with you this morning because, like Cody said, I don't get to do this very often. And part of it is like, um, there's a little bit of terror when Jake says, hey, you don't do this a lot. Uh, we would love for you to teach. Um, but every single time I jump up here, I get reinforced by two things. That the same power that raised Jesus from the, the dead is available to help me teach this text, right? It's not my words. And I love the fact of who I am surrounded with on our elder team. Because again, this is not a message from me. This is a message uh, from our entire elder team. That settles my heart and the worship this morning. Man, if you can't get your heart settled um, through worship and just preparing your heart, I don't know what that looks like. But Cody already introduced me. And if I haven't met you before, nice to meet you. Uh, Come up and grab me uh, before. I'd love to to make your acquaintance. But my name is Scott Rieger. Um, I am one of the elders, one of your elders here at Candeo. And... I love the opportunity to teach through this morning because I'm not here just as one of your elders. I'm also here as an employee. Now, I'm not, like Cody said, I'm not an employee of the church, but I have had a job for the last roughly 36 years. So if if you mind, can I throw some stuff out? This is kind of a little little bit of a window into who I am. Between fifth and ninth grade, right? Where are my fifth and ninth graders? Here. You guys aren't going to raise your hands, right? Between fifth and ninth grade, I was a paper boy, right? Yes, there was a time in society where you actually had a physical person running around with like this uh, pouch that had a bunch of papers in it. You would walk up to a door. You'd either put it in the paper box or you'd put it in between the door there, right? That's, that was my job between fifth and ninth grade. After that, a couple years later, at about 16 years old, I decided I needed to get a job because I wanted to save it for some things. So I began a seven-year career, if you want to call it that, working at Fairway Food Stores. Fairway? Fairway people? Is everybody here like a Hy-Vee person? Not so much. I've got, I've got a, love, a lot of love for Fairway in my heart. So I did that uh, between about my uh, junior year in high school and then my, I did that all through college. And then when I got done with Fairway, um, I worked there as a full-time uh, stalker, kind of a manager of a section until I finally got hired by the Iowa Department of Public Safety. And so for the last 25 years, I just completed my 25th year uh, with the Iowa Department of Public Safety as a special agent with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation. And I say all that to you not to lay out my resume, not to wow you, but I almost say it to myself because it's important for me to be reminded that for, for the better part of 36 years of my life, I have been gainfully employed. I've had a job that's provided for myself, for family, for others. And my guess is, is that as I kind of went through that, for most of you, that is probably true as well. Did you know that Americans, we Americans are more employed and more wealthy than we've ever been probably in humanity's existence? And yet at this exact same time, it seems like we're also less happy and we have a ton of anxiety as it relates to our work. When I was preparing for this uh, this morning, I started to look up some stuff. I want you to listen to this. This is, I thought this was kind of interesting because I think it speaks to this. The seasonally adjusted unemployment rate in the United States in August of 2023 was 3.8%. That's almost two percentage points better than like the 75-year average, right? Okay, and I'm not an economist, but I can kind of read what that says. Guess what it is in Greece? We always use Greece as kind of our comparative. 
The unemployment rate in Greece right now is 12.2%, right? Almost one in 10 people are out of work. What do you think it is in Sweden? Right? It seems like Swedish people always have their act together, right? In Sweden, it's 7.2%, almost double what it is here in the United States. Maybe getting a little bit closer to home, what do you think it is in Canada to our neighbors in the north? 5.2%, right? I look at that and I go, boy, it seems like unemployment is super low. Well, not only does it speak to that, the United States Census Bureau between April and May of this year showed that the median family income in Iowa for one earner incomes was about $61,000. For two incomes, it was a little over $81,000. Now, I'm not here to get into an argument with you over the inflation and how that impacts everything. I just read those numbers and I go, in the United States and here in Iowa, we live in a very, very prosperous time, if not one of the most prosperous times in humanity's existence. And yet, I read these same thing, I read something different um, in some of the other articles. In an article in Forbes magazine from January of this year titled, and check out the title, Mental Health in the Workplace, Predicted Trends for 2023, it says this, it says rates of burnout, anxiety, and depression are at record levels. In addition to pushing employees to offer, employers to offer generous employee benefit packages, companies are also going to be forced to rethink how they can create a supportive work environment. So now not only companies are going to have to look at how can we pay these guys really well, but how can we take care of their mental health? The UKG Workforce Institute, which you probably don't know, but it offers, it does like investigative workforce research, says that in a new study this year, Almost half, 42% of middle managers say they plan to quit in the next year due to workplace stress and anxiety. And finally, a Gallup poll, a recent Gallup poll, found that 19% of U.S. workers, that's almost one in five, rate their mental health as fair or poor. Here's what I think these stats say. I think the stats tell us, hey, we've got jobs, okay? Unemployment is relatively low. Seems like we're making really good money. In fact, I think we're probably making the most money we've ever had in existence. And yet, we're still often miserable in our jobs. It's almost like we're working to the point that we're killing ourselves. We're running ourselves into the ground and it makes us go, what is all this for? Why am I doing it? All for what? Well, there seem to be two ways that we respond to this question not only as believers, but I think as non-believers. First, knowing that we're running ourselves into the ground, we land, here we go, you know what? I'm just gonna decide to make work a means to an end. It's just gonna be a means to make myself a lot of money and to give myself a lot of comfort. We think, well, if I'm gonna be miserable, I might as well make a ton of money. And at some point, maybe I can be comfortable and chill out for the rest of my life. So what do we do? We work 45 years of our life just so we can take it easy, hopefully we can enjoy the last 15. That is if we don't die before all that happens. I think that's our, our first way that we respond to it. The second way I think is we go the opposite direction and we respond to that kind of like, what is the point with our work? And we go, you know what, what's the point? I'm not gonna let the man get the best of me. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna take a page from that great movie, Office Space, and I'm just gonna screw around to work. I'm gonna do the absolute bare minimum that I have to. I'm gonna be the low bar I'm gonna be the no expectation. And shoot, I'm just gonna do just enough so that I don't get fired because this place doesn't deserve my best. But this makes me go, what if there's a third option? Because what I found in my life, those first two always things to be, seem to be my natural bent, 
But then I have to go, how can I align myself with God's word? What if there's a third option? Something that makes work exactly what God has always intended our employment to be. A way to delight in the midst of our work. I think this is what our passage in Ecclesiastes is gonna show us this morning. So I'd love to open it up and read through it with you again. So if you've got your Bible or if you've got an app, um, let's open up to Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses 18 through 26. I know we just read it over, but I love reading this because I think the more we read it, we see where the teacher is tapping into a lot of the things that we feel as well. Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses 18 through 26. It says, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there was a man whose work is done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a man get with all of his work and all his effort that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is futile. There is nothing better for a man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. I read this and I go, the teacher starts this whole passage off by saying, I hated all my work. So bring that into our town. He's essentially saying, I hate my job. I hate the fact that tomorrow I have to go back and do another five days, if not more, of work. I hate the fact that tomorrow's Monday. I hate being in meetings all day. I hate when the alarm goes off, knowing that I've got to go back to work. I hate the project I have to complete. I hate the food that I have to prepare. I hate the laundry that I'm gonna have to do. I hate the diapers that I'm going to have to change. I hate the fact that I'm gonna have to meet with this client this afternoon. The teacher is saying, I hate my work. Now, when I first encountered this, I'm like, man, this is, what a way to start off a passage. Like, this is is somewhat depressing. I just kinda wanna close it and, and move on. Well, what, then, what it then made me do is I had to ask myself, how in the world did we get here? How did we get, how did the teacher get to this point where he's going, I hate all my work? Because you know, if you read your Bible, we certainly didn't start here. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, verse 28, we see right after God created man, that it says, be fruitful. God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That sounds like work to me. Right, and this is before sin even entered the picture. And then if you just fast forward into the next chapter, chapter two, verse 15, after creating the garden, God says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Guys, I read this and I go, work is a good thing. It was a good thing created by God and given to mankind, given to us for our benefit and for God's glory. In all that we talk about today, even as the teacher encounters the futility of work, we can't lose sight that work is a good thing given to us by God, because I will quickly forget that point. You see, work existed before sin entered the picture, and it was not a result of our sin. We can't forget this. However, 
think what we're going to see in today's passage, what it does draw out, is we see how Satan has been doing a lot of work between Genesis and the rule of Solomon to make work the futility that it is in our minds and what the teachers discovered it to be. What we don't see in this text, what we're not going to see in this text as we, we jump into it this morning, is how work became the grind that it is, right? If you want to find that out, go back to Genesis chapter 3. You can see how that happened. But what we do see is we see a teacher stating the conclusion he arrived at. And it's a conclusion, my guess is, as we've read it this morning, as we continue to study it throughout the week, it's going to be a conclusion that a lot of us, I know myself, can relate to is that I look at everything that I've done, all that I've labored for, what I'm heading toward, and I see it as futile, ultimately futile. I know I've had those times in my own life. So that makes me go, what does the Bible teach us about how something good like work, which God gave to us as a gift, how can it get to this place where we we hate it and we think that it's futile? Well, Ecclesiastes does a great job of help teaching us how we can get to that point. So let's work at verses 18 and 19 again. He says, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the man that comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. When we look at this, what the teacher is drawing out here is that death nullifies everything. That's essentially what he's talking about here is when I go, when I am no longer here, My work, all that I've labored for is going to go to somebody else that I have absolutely no control over, all right? Have you heard the phrase, shrouds have no pockets? It's kind of the old way of going like, hey, when the the burial shrouds go over a person, you ever notice there's no pockets in there? Because stuff and money doesn't mean anything anymore to the dead person. The modern version of that would be like, have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, okay? We all recognize that death nullifies all the stuff that we put our effort to, on this side of heaven. The teacher sees this. It nullifies pleasures. Death nullifies pleasures. It nullifies wealth. And the teacher has come to the reality that even with all that he had labored for, even if he did it skillfully, death nullifies it because you have to leave it to the person that comes after you. The futility the teacher expresses is because he's seen that death nullifies all that we might accomplish through our work. And we spend a lot of time vesting Mounts and mounts and huge amounts of energy into what can I accomplish through my work. The teacher realized that he could control what he had built, all the stuff he had labored for, as long as it belonged to him. But as soon as death becomes his reality, which he's drawing out in verses 18 and 19, he realizes that all he had labored for is going to be given to somebody else. And it's good for us to recognize that right now, right? Because as soon as we give it to somebody else, it doesn't matter how they are, right? It's out of our control. This reminded me of Psalm 39, verses 4 through 6, which is going to be on the slide behind me, because the psalmist also came to the same conclusion that the teacher did. Look what Psalm 39 says. It says, Lord, reveal to me the end of my life and the number of my days. Let me know how short-lived I am. You indeed have made my day short in length, and my lifespan is nothing in your sight. Yes, every mortal man is only a vapor. Certainly man walks about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they frantically rush around gathering possession, or rush around in vain gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. 
The psalmist, the teacher, and I think most everybody, when they really do the analysis, recognizes or discovers the same thing. That even if we do our jobs well, even if we labor hard, even if we invest copious amounts of time and energy towards our jobs, in the end, even if I leave it to somebody else who's like, I've, I've vetted them out, I've checked out their background, I think they're a phenomenal person, they got great character, even if I leave it to somebody like that, right, I still have no control what happens after I give it to them. Maybe they're gonna be wise, right? Maybe I turn it, sober, turn it over to somebody who's gonna be wise, but they could be a total dumpster fire. Either way, no matter who we hand our work over to, we really have no control over what happens to it, everything that we've worked for. And when we start to dwell on this, what the teacher is doing here, work seems like it's futile, doesn't it? Several weeks ago at Candeo, we celebrated our, our 10, 10th anniversary. I think a lot of you were here for that morning. It was a great celebration of God's faithfulness to and through this local church over the last 10 years, right? It was a, it was a wonderful weekend. But did anybody notice, Stephen Jones uh, drew this out in our elder team meeting a couple weeks ago. Did anybody notice that we had to reintroduce Paul Sabino? Which you go, okay, so we had to reintroduce Paul Sabino. Paul Sabino one of the founding pastors of our church. So he and his wife, Jenny, and their kids, Josiah, Ellie, and Claire, uprooted their lives from the Des Moines area, landed here, right? Invested tons and tons, copious amounts of time and energy that we all had the opportunity to build off of, and we had to reintroduce him. Paul Sabino, a man who, along with his wife and family, poured their lives into the founding and growth of this church, into a lot of us, right, that are here, for five years, and we had to reintroduce him. Paul Sabino, who influenced so many of us by being up on this stage and teaching, but also the influence in his life, right? We had to reintroduce him. All the effort, all the labor, all of the good toil, and it was good toil that Paul, Jenny, and their kids poured into to most of us here, right? And yet Paul had absolutely no control over what happened once he moved away, who he handed this over to. Now, praise God that the work has continued here, right? And that Paul's, Paul and Jenny's work continues here at Candeo and the baton didn't get dropped when it got handed off. But I think what this is a very real and present reminder is how quickly things fade when we have to turn those things over to other people. It was a small dose of the same futility that I think the teacher is realizing here. Now, we can get to the end of verses 18 and 19 and go, well, this is like super depressing. So you're basically saying everything I have and will ever work for will be up in the air because I can't control. And I would go, yeah, it sounds depressing. But guys, I am sitting here going, we can take encouragement in this because in reading this, we can begin to have a perspective on work that God has always wanted us to have. That's why he puts things like this in the Bible so that we can align our lives with this. So let's look at where the teacher goes next. Look at verses 20 through 23. So he ends this and he goes, so, so I began to give myself over to despair concerning all, the work, all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there was a man whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts that he labored at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. 
So the the teacher moves on to his lament. He goes a little bit deeper into his lament coming off of verses 18 and 19. And when he does that, he uses two phrases which I think are super compelling. I found these compelling, particularly within a room this size in somebody like me. My guess is that in these four verses, as we read verses 20 through 23, there are plenty, if not many, sitting in this room that as I'm reading this, as you're reading this for yourselves, you are nodding along in agreement with how the author feels when it comes to his work and his labor. Look at verse 20 and 21, right? You can see that the author has, the teacher has despair. He says, so I gave myself over to despair. And why? Right, because he knows that even if I do all these things really well, when there is a man whose work is done with wisdom, my, my work is wisdom done with knowledge and skill, and then I have to give a portion, to, or I have to give that portion over to a man who's not worked for it, that brings me despair, right? Do you feel despair over your job? My guess is we've all felt despair in our jobs in a couple of different ways. Do you despair as to your job's future? Maybe I can speak real quickly to the person who's kind of built your business to your, yourself, okay? Maybe it's a, a, a small business. Maybe it's grown into something else. Do you despair over what's going to happen to it in the future? Because what the teacher is realizing here is that, you know what? When you labor at all these things, ultimately, the person you turn it over to, they, they might not have had the, the level of investment that you have as, as they take over the job that you have. Someone might get your company but they might get it with none of the blood, sweat, and the tears that you know you've invested into it. Maybe they're just the next person in line. Maybe they're just the, the one that was next in line. Or maybe there's somebody that just wrote a big check and they just bought all of the work that you had to work for. That brings a lot of despair when we think about that, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're not the person though. Maybe you're not the person that has built something up uh, personally, but you've been a faithful employee. You've worked for someone else, either individually or corporately. Do you despair who's going to carry on your legacy at your workplace? Maybe you've invested a ton of time to make your section, the thing that you've done at your workplace, what it is. All the effort, the education, the emphasis that you placed on your career to realize that it might go to somebody else, right, who did not have that same desire or maybe even the same character that you had in order to build that up. That can be soup. That could bring despair, right? If you felt that, you know the despair that the teacher is feeling. But not only does the teacher have despair, the teacher also has anxiety. And we see that in verses 22 and 23. Because he, he basically lands at this place where he goes, for what does a man get with all his work and all his effort that he labors at under the sun? All his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. I have talked to, to, to people over and over and over again who are like, I am not sleeping well. I just wake up in the middle of the night, I think about my work. We feel what the teacher feels here in verses 22 and 23. Do you feel the anxiousness of that work, right? The toil that you've put in knowing you're gonna have to do it again tomorrow? Do you grieve how hard your job is? I know that within a room this size, we have a lot of people who are doing a lot of physical labor. Maybe there's a lot of emotional labor. Do you just toil and go, my job, I just can't do this anymore. It's hard. If you lay in your bed and, and your mind is restless over the day or the week to come, if you felt all of these things, you feel the anxiety that the teacher has felt and discovered in his work. You see, the teacher's despair comes from the realization that even if he does his job with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, he has to hand it over to somebody who may not have put in the same level of work that he did, right? 
But then the teacher's restlessness comes from the realization that in view of what comes of it all, work is hard, right? Work is hard, it's stressful, and oftentimes it can cost more pain and restlessness than we think that it's work. So my guess is that for many of us, when we read this passage in Ecclesiastes, right, maybe this is the first time you've encountered it, but my guess is most of us have probably read this before. This was not the first time I had studied through Ecclesiastes. But you know, when I read this, what it, what it makes me do is go, all right, if this is true, if a lot of us have probably read this before, then why is it that the same futility, the same despair that the world feels is something that we feel too as believers? In my mind, I go, shouldn't it be different? I, like, if I know this is true, how come I still feel that same despair, that same restlessness? Shouldn't we as believers, knowing the reality of what the Bible teaches, not only in Ecclesiastes, but throughout the Bible, shouldn't we be free from anxiety? like the teacher is finding here? Why is it that so many of us sitting here today as Christ followers wrestle with the same despair and the same anxiety? Because I know that we do. Many of you in here are my friends and I know that you work and have had those same types of things. Well, I believe that David Gibson has a great perspective on this. Uh, Jake opened us up to this book called Living Life Backwards, which is almost like, I'll call it a pseudo commentary on Ecclesiastes. He says this, part of it's gonna be up on the screen behind me, and I think this is really helpful for us to hear as Christ followers. Because remember, as we, as we look at this, right, the teacher did not have the hope of Christ that we did right now. We can land at a different place. Look at what uh, David Gibson said. He says, people who follow Jesus often lose sight of the world to come. We become resident Christians rather than nomadic Christians. We become fully integrated in this world rather than viewing ourselves as passing through. And we do this by living as if our greatest treasures are the here and now. We display our sense of permanence by our lifestyle choices, the homes we live in, the money we spend, the churches we build, the investments we pursue, and the priorities we live for. We hold the good things of this world too tightly and lavish our affections on them too freely. We strive and strain for the same kind of gain as everyone else around us. Guys, this, this really convicts me when I have that same despair, that same restlessness, because it made me think of this. When, when you introduce yourself to somebody for the first time, maybe you did this morning during the meeting greet, or maybe you're going to a high school reunion or, or whatever, and you meet somebody, what's often one of the first questions we ask or get asked? What do you do? What's your employment? Right, did you guys notice that? That's almost, a, that's one of our lead foot questions that we put out there. I believe we ask this question for a couple ways, either to try and find out what is significant about that other person, or we ask that question in the hopes that we'll get to communicate something significant about ourselves to other people. So maybe, maybe in meeting somebody new, you crave to hear this question get asked of you, because then you get to lay out your resume, you get to lay out uh, uh, what, you get to, what you've spent your life doing. But maybe you're the opposite person. Maybe in meeting somebody new, you cringe when you anticipate that this question is going to be asked because you're like, I don't really have anything cool to say about my job. You see, we frequently see our value or lack thereof in being based on what we do. And when we read these passages and we see the futility that the teacher lands in, it should open up their eyes as there is something better for us. We are so quick as people who proclaim Christ as not only Savior but Lord to place significance on the things that we should not the things that have no bearing on how God sees us. I know that I am quick to forget that when I, when I put my trust in Jesus living for me, dying on a cross for me and raising again on the third day, I'm not an enemy of God anymore. I'm at peace with him, but I'm so quick to forget that. 
You see, the gospel was always meant to show us that this world is not our true home and there's something much greater that awaits. And when we do this, our work starts to come into proper alignment. Maybe you walked in this morning and you thought, you know what, my work is what brings me true significance. Maybe you're a college student and you're like, what I am going for in college, what I'm about to head to after I get out of college, that is what's going to put me on the map. That is what my identity is going to be in. When we do that, it becomes a place where we get consumed by it, and it consumes who we are and how we respond to the world around us. But perhaps you're on the opposite side of that coin. You feel a little, you absolutely feel no significance because you feel like your job really isn't that impressive. Guys, when we read passages like Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter two, we can realize that we can put this vain pursuit, which is where the author or the teacher lands, we can put this vain pursuit off to the side and rest in the real and only significance you will ever need knowing that God finds you so significant that he sent his son for you. Dwayne Garrett says it really well. He says, a man consumed with his job burns himself up for what has no real lasting value. Guys, if you call yourself a Christ follower this morning, you have real lasting value in Jesus. Right? We cannot forget this. The advantage we have in 2023 is we can see this now. The teacher didn't have that opportunity, right? But look at how this plugs in with what the teacher does discover in the last, few, the last three verses. We'll end with this this morning. Verses 24 through 26. The teacher says, there's nothing better for man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy, but to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. Now you read verses 24 and 25 and you might immediately go, so the author is saying carpe diem, seize the day, right? Is, is that what the author is saying here? In fact, what we're gonna see is this is the first of seven references in Ecclesiastes where the author is actually going to recommend the wholehearted pursuit of enjoyment. Now the world would encounter this and go, sweet, let's party, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But let's look at what the teacher is really trying to draw us through. I listened to a, a message that Kevin DeYoung uh, taught on this passage and it was about a 15 year old message, but it was phenomenal. And as he taught, he said something that I believe is so true that draws out this, what it looks like right, to, to see what the teacher is trying to get us to realize. He had these three words, ready? Enjoy the now. Enjoy the now. Here's what he means by that. We always seem to be looking to enjoy the next thing instead of the thing right in front of us, right? And when I look around a room like this, um, I know that uh, Annabelle and Charlotte are sitting in here with Lydia. I know that uh, Judah's in sitting here um, with, with Naomi, I'm talking to the kids in the room, my Candeo kids. Do you ever, do you find yourselves looking for what is it gonna be like when I'm 11 years old? I'll get to stay up a little bit later. I'll get to do some cool things. We always look at the next thing, even when we're kids. Junior high or uh, a high school student, are you, do you feel like you're living in like this 18 or under 18 prison and you cannot wait to get out on your own looking for that next thing? I just wanna get off to college. College student, we feel the same thing, right? We spend all this time thinking about what is it gonna be like when I have that full-time job? What's gonna happen when I find, find my spouse and I get married? 
We're always looking to the next thing. Employee here in the Cedar Valley, I don't care where you're at. Are you always looking for that next promotion? What's retirement gonna look like? What's that next thing? Guys, I believe the teacher is trying to get us focused on what's the most important thing. We can enjoy the now. We always seem to be looking at to the next step in our career, the next stage in life, the next thing to replace a current thing. Guys, God wants us to enjoy the good gifts he gives us right here and right now, right in front of us. Now, you might be sitting here going, wait a minute, you, you just said a few minutes ago that uh, we're supposed to be travelers passing through and that our greatest treasures are the here and now, right? Or they're not the here and now, there's something, there's something later on. Derek Kidner says something that I, helps, I think frames this in so we have a right balance. He says this, it's gonna be on the, the slide behind me. He says, in themselves and rightly used, the basic things of life are sweet and good. Food, drink, and work are samples of them. What spoils them is our hunger to get out of them more than they can give. You see, when we see our physical treasures as always being subordinate to the greatest treasure that's Jesus, when we see them as being great gifts but horrible gods, then we're finally freed up to enjoy our physical treasures in the way God has intended to, and we can enjoy what God has given us, including our work. To love the gift, even the gift of work, more than the giver of that gift, that is where we get sideways. Guys, if we can reorient and realign ourselves to something greater, work then takes on the meaning that God has always meant it to be. Enjoy the now. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, Solomon is not advocating eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the philosophy of fatalism, not faith. Rather, the teacher is saying, thank God for what you do have and enjoy it to the glory of God. Guys, a right understanding of work in all things that we're gonna see in Ecclesiastes always comes down to making sure that we remember that nothing that we do should be separated from who God is. Look at verse 25. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? No matter what we pursue, no matter how good, apart from God, it's futile. All our joy, our pleasure, our happiness, wisdom, and work apart from God is all empty and void of meaning. So do you see your daily job as something that was never intended to make you successful, but simply to make you faithful and generous? Do you see your daily job as a means to be a faithful person with a faithful presence in a specific sphere of influence in your employment? Do you see your job as a means to bless other people? Guys, we can return, we can enjoy the return that we get on our labor. The ability to enjoy and to use the material things our jobs provides for us, right? Our food and our shelter, that's a gift from God and we can enjoy it. As Christ followers above all others, we have the capacity to enjoy life right now to its fullest while we look forward in eager anticipation to the greater life to come with Jesus in heaven. Guys, when we understand this and repent from what we thought our work was, we're pleasing in God's sight and he blesses us with joy, right? We see that in verse 26, which he adds up there. He says, basically, for the one who would reject these things, right? No joy is found. Wisdom, knowledge, and joy are given to those who understands God's gift of work. When we have work in the right balance that God's given to us and the boundaries in which he's placed it, God is pleased with us. However, for the sinner, the one who doesn't get this, there's only affliction, Right? And sometimes God channels the fruits of the wicked so that the, the righteous can enjoy it. When God is our goal and not our work, guys, our labor is not in vain. Earlier I read Psalm 39. Right? You remember it started off, certainly man walks about like a mere shadow. 
right? And it, and it got to this place where it says, basically, everything's in vain. Man's immortal vapor. I can't control what it gets him. It seems to end in futility, right? But it didn't. Because what I failed to do is end that with verse 7. The psalmist's flow of thought did not end with futility. And in verse 7, he says this. This is what the psalmist says. He says, now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Guys, the thing that won't last, they're a benefit, but they're not the point of life. God is the point. God is the one who gives enjoyment and satisfaction in our lives, not our work. And when we realize that we don't work to gain significance, then our significance is found in the fact that God sent his son for us. It gives us an eternal perspective beyond this word that reorients our work and allows us to enjoy it. This takes us to not leverage our work for our purposes and our goals, but for God's. And when we realize that our quest for happiness doesn't come from our striving, but in God's giving, right, to the one who pleases him, our work is not in vain. God is our goal, not our work. Kendall, we started this morning seeing that they're thinking there seem to be two ways that we respond to work in light of this apparent futility. But this morning, I want to see something different. We can either see it as a necessary evil, an evil that can make us a lot of money and get us great stuff and bring ourselves significance, or maybe you're at the place where you're like, I see work as simply an obstacle to my joy, and, and therefore, I'm just going to be a mediocre employee. Guys, when we encounter the truth of the Bible, we see something completely different and viewable, we, or beautiful. We see this third option. We see that God created work and loves work, and he has something much greater for us in our work. Because we, we, we serve a new master now, right? In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, we serve Christ. Christ is our master. But not only does it free us up to be good employees, right? We're also now freed up to have good rhythms of rest because you realize the world does not depend on us. God is the one who works while we sleep. We see that in Psalm 121. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. It's not me. In thinking through the career that you're in or perhaps the career that you're looking to choose, is there anything in your work that causes you to worship Jesus? It's an interesting question to ask, isn't it? Is the career you're moving towards or are currently in, is it about leveraging your job for your own goals, your own purposes, or for the purposes that we see God value? What if we were a people who reoriented our perspective on work to be one of, how can I use my job to bless other people? Imagine the delight we could find within the midst of our work and the meaning that God has always wanted us to have in our work in him. Guys, viewing work in any other way that we see in Ecclesiastes 2 this morning is only going to make us frustrated and unsatisfied. That's what the awe, that's what the teacher is getting at. Would we be a people who make God our goal and not our work? And when we do that, would we find satisfaction and meaning in him alone as we steward God's gift, good gift of work? Let me pray for us this morning. God, you are so generous to us and your generosity extends into the reality that you have given us work. It's a good gift, God. It's a horrible God. Satan has done such a good job throughout humanity's existence in taking your good gifts and turning them into something you never intended them to be. God, we orient our thinking, our thinking. Would we align ourselves with the truth of that you are the most important thing? And God, when we see that and we find our significance in you and you alone, we provide the greatest provision in you and you alone, it helps us to reorient what work is for us and frees us up to enjoy it the way you've always meant it for us. 
God, we love you for this fact. Would you, through your spirit, help us to reorient our life to this truth? In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.